I forgot to mention that Cameron and Nicole are traveling. They're, they are over in Murfreesboro uh, orienting at MTSU. And so uh, they'll be there tonight, come back tomorrow. And if you would, keep Taylor in your prayer. She's coming home tomorrow. So she's making a trip from Memphis to here and uh, pray for her safe journey. Tonight, I don't really need to introduce Brother Eddie, but he's with us and we're thankful for him. We're glad that he's here, and we're especially thankful that Vicky got to come and, and uh, be with us and help us keep an eye on on Eddie because, uh, you know, he does really well uh, if he's helping keep an eye on Wesley. But then when Wesley's not around to watch, and he just kind of goes haywire, does what he wants to, you know. But I'm thankful for Eddie. I got to know him years ago back at uh, uh, when I was at Wheeler Hill. He still goes there every May, don't you, Eddie? Every May and holds a gospel meeting and we always look forward to that that was a high point for us because we enjoyed him and if you've never heard any of his good jokes make sure you you hear a few tonight my girls still talk about the dog with no legs and so uh but anyway we're thankful that he's with us and and uh, uh we've been supporting the good work that him wesley uh which they're involved for a long time uh and i think that uh, eddie would agree with me if a school like that was available when he went to the memphis school of preaching when i went to the memphis school of preaching i think we'd a whole lot rather gone to that school and uh they do it i think the right way and uh you know if it weren't for vicky keeping that bunch straight over there i don't know what would happen but uh, we're thankful that he's with us tonight we love eddie and wesley and the whole family and and we're thankful for, for what they do we appreciate you brother coming and being with us tonight and eddie's topic tonight uh, as we continue our series of Living the Beatitudes, his sermon is, I am blessed because I am persecuted. Come speak to us, brother. It's always an honor to be at White Oak, and it's where I'm standing now is where we got our start in 1969. That's a long time ago. Some of you weren't even born in 1969, but uh, I was. And we uh, had a great time, Wesley, of course, and myself here in the White Oak Church supported us in our uh, endeavors to go to the Memphis School of Preaching. Uh, contrary to many thoughts and ideas, we graduated. And uh, we've been preaching the Word of God ever since, he and I have, and we uh, certainly appreciate churches like White Oak. And I know... You have continued to support uh, preachers at Memphis. You support preachers up where we are, and you've supported Wesley and I uh, continually, and we appreciate that so very, very much. It's good congregations like you that enable us to do the things that we do, and we appreciate it. I'm glad Rick's here. It's good to see him and his family. The girls were just small when I was at Wheeler Hill. They just bought a pig named Porkchop. They've eaten him since that time. And uh, he was delicious, about like the old boy that got the bird. They sent him a bird, his son did, an exotic bird from Africa, beautiful bird. And the guy said it was delicious, too. He said, we killed that bird. My wife stuffed it, and we ate it and said it was delicious. And the boy said, when he found out about it, said, how do you like the bird I sent you? He said, oh, that bird was delicious, son. Thank you. He said, tell me you didn't eat that bird. He said, yeah, we ate that bird. He was delicious. Ma stuffed him, and we ate him. He said, Dad, that bird could speak three different languages. He said, well, why didn't he say something then? And uh, so I guess he deserved to be eaten. But I'm honored to be here tonight. And I wonder, Rick, who gave me this topic? I'm blessed because I'm being persecuted. 
If you're going to be blessed because you're persecuted, you're going to be one blessed folk after tonight's lesson. Because you're going to be persecuted. I don't know why you didn't assign that one to Wesley unless you gave him the one ready to suffer. And uh, sometimes uh, they'll do that to him. But I'm honored to be here. What a great, isn't that a great book and a great series, The Sermon on the Mount. You're not going to read a greater sermon in all of the Word of God than you're going to read when you read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. A lifetime of study can go into that, and I'm sure that you've uh, invested a good deal of time already this uh, year in a study of the Beatitudes and thinking about your theme, Living the Beatitudes, and that's what it's all about. You see, the Beatitudes is really the attitude that we be. And so we have the kind of attitudes that we're developing and building through our study of the precious Word of God. And so I want us to think about being blessed because we're being persecuted. As in our prayer, we heard, and truthfully so, we're never going to be persecuted at the moment like the early church was in under Roman government and the severity of their trials and difficulties was astronomical. And I've never, ever gone through anything like they have. Now, we're swiftly moving America in that direction, and so it could be that our children, grandchildren, will have to be persecuted if they assemble like we are tonight without fear or without reservation. And so we're living in troubling times where the Bible is being removed and God is being removed from everything, and so it may be that we will be persecuted someday in a more severe manner. But as Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, if we live godly in Christ Jesus, we shall suffer persecution. Not a matter whether we will or not, We will suffer persecution, and it uh, varies in severity, and it varies in different ways. Now, when I think about being blessed in persecution, I think about the example that Jesus Christ set for each and every one of us. And I want you, if you would, to hold Matthew 5, but I would like for you to go back to the book of uh, 1 Peter, and I'd like for you to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's just read about three or four verses here together that sets the groundwork, really, for what we're thinking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes I will make the statement that Peter is writing 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 against the background of the sermon that's on the Mount. If you'll read the book of James, you'll maybe walk away saying, you know, I believe the book of James was written against the background of Matthew chapter 5. Because James, the brother of Jesus, was recording the events of inspiration, and so naturally there would be a great deal of similarity. But now notice verse 21. For hereunto were you called, talking to the Christians there that were scattered abroad, because Christ also suffered for us. Now watch, leaving us an example. When I think about suffering and being blessed as a result of that suffering, I think about Christ setting first the example. He set the example for us that you should follow in his steps. When we moan and groan and bicker and gripe because we're suffering, uh, uh, going through persecutions, as children of God, you need to read again the historicity of Jesus. You need again to look at what he went through, what the early church went through, and the severity of their persecutions, what the Apostle Paul went through. We don't go through any of that, and yet we gripe and groan and grumble more than a lot of folks do. We go through life. Grumbly hateful instead of humbly grateful is what we do. And we shouldn't do that because we are so blessed in this country. But he said he leaves us an example that you should follow in his steps. Now watch. He did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. When he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously with his own self, bear our sin in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness 
by whose stripe we are healed. And so the Bible says that we are following in the steps of Jesus. That same writer would say, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf or account. That we can suffer for the, the cause of Christ should be an honor. And we should take that as such, and it should be a blessing to our lives. Now let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount. I want us to think about example to start with. Now I was reading and studying and preparing for this lesson. It was kind of interesting to me that I've been assigned on two different uh, occasions this year, one here tonight, talking on I'm blessed because of persecution. Another one is the idea of we're being uh, encouraged through the trials and persecutions that we go through in Chesapeake, Virginia toward the end part of the year. But I wanted to look at the similarity of that and in studying all of that, and trying to piece it together and fit it in a sermon, I began to notice something I really hadn't paid attention to as such, and I'll share that with you in a moment. But now notice in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.10, there the Bible said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now not, you're not going to be blessed for being persecuted if you're not being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Some people are just persecuted. And they're persecuted because of the lifestyle they have and the things they do. It's not having anything to do with Christianity or being living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. It has nothing to do with that. They're being persecuted because of things they do and crimes they commit. And they ought to be. But anyway, that's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying people that are being persecuted are always being blessed. But those that are being persecuted for righteousness' sake, he says... For yours or theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, that ought to be a sufficient right there, shouldn't it? To let us know that we're being blessed in persecution because we receive the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Again, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. But if you suffer as a busybody, as a murderer, or whatever, then you should be ashamed of that. But if you're suffering as a Christian, you should not be ashamed but glorify God. And so he said, listen, if they're accusing you falsely for my sake, you're being persecuted not because of anything necessarily you've even done. They don't like me. You'll do, and you're following me, so they hate you. Jesus said they hated me before they hated you, and if they hated me first, then they're going to hate you if you're standing for the same principles of righteousness that I teach and that I have preached and that I lived in my life. And so he says, if you're suffering this for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Again, a thought of how we're blessed. For so persecuted they, the prophets, that were before you. And so Jesus is saying, look, you're being persecuted, but before you came on the scene, I was being persecuted. And before I was being persecuted, the prophets were being persecuted because we all have something in common. And that is we're following what God wants us to do. And because we're doing that, we're following an example that the world hates. Now, when I started connecting suffering, persecution, with the idea of being blessed, and I connected it to example. And that's what sprung the key here in Matthew 5. Do you know that after what we just got through reading, then he talks about example? 
Right after you read about it, if you're going through all of these trials and difficulties, if you're being persecuted, if you're being killed, if you're going through all of these difficulties because you are a child of God, you're one of my followers, then I want you to understand you're doing the right thing. But not only are you doing the right thing, you're setting the standard and you're setting the example for other people to follow as well. When they see you can do that, they see they can do that too. You see, Paul writes an entire book in 2 Corinthians addressing the idea of God is the God of all comforts and He's the Father of mercies. And in that letter, he addresses on many occasions, we go through what we go through to bless you, you go through what you go through, and it blesses us because we see each other's example and we draw tremendous encouragement from that. Now, there's not a gospel preacher that's preached very long that at one time or another didn't want to throw his Bible away and hang it up and go get him a job. I don't like that word job, and so I didn't do that. But you, you do think about that from time to time. But you see, then you get to thinking about you get a card in the mail, and someone, uh, I was when I was in Saltville, Virginia, 1972, and a church in Cherokee, Alabama supported us greatly and came up and knocked doors with us every year for our vacation Bible school, gospel meeting. They was just so good to help me financially. And I'd get down in the dumps, didn't, you know, just like I'm the only one that's faithful anymore, kind of the Elijah mentality, and I thought, well, what am I going to do? And then in the mailbox, I'd go to it, and there would be a card from one of the members at uh, Cherokee, Alabama, that says, Eddie, we love you, we think about you all the time, we're praying for you, and the work that you're doing in Saltville. Man, I'd grab my Bible back up and attack the devil. See the encouragement? That example through that card meant a great deal to me. I have cards in my office that I've kept through the years that came at the right time, just when I needed a card from someone that maybe even that's unexpected that you wouldn't even think about would even send you a card. But you get that, and that says, look, we're praying for you. We're on the same team. We're going through the same trials and difficulties in Alabama that you are in Virginia and Tennessee and wherever you are, and let's fight this thing together, and let's be an encouragement. Let's set the standard, the example. Christ left us an example that we should follow in his steps, and that involved his going through troubles and trials and tribulations. Now watch, after the verses that we just read, verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. You see that? You ought to underline that. If you mark in your Bible, you ought to underline that and see right after he talks about if you go through all this, you're blessed. You're going to receive great reward in heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. How great this is. And I want you to know you're the salt of the earth. And you know what the earth needs? The earth needs salt. That's what the earth needs. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, if the salt doesn't do what it's supposed to do, if that salt isn't the example that it ought to be, then what good is it? You see, it's thenceforth good for nothing. So wherewith shall it be salted? Is this good for nothing? It's to be cast out and to trodden under the foot of men. And so what is what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, you go through these trials and difficulties and you be an example. Of one that will suffer for righteousness sake. You be an example to a world that needs to see an example. They don't need to see people that when things get tough, they get going. They run away. They're afraid. They're, they don't hang in there and do the right thing. The world says, well, they are no different than we are. They're no better than we are. But when they see an example, they see that salt. They see that which puts the life in the living and the living in the life. In this example, then you've got people that want to follow 
that example, uh, example. They'll want to follow and be what you are. Now watch what he says in the very next verse. After using the salt as an illustration, he said, You are the light of the world. Have you ever been in darkness? Have you ever been in a place of total darkness? I promise you, the only thing you're going to think about is, I need to get a light. I need a light. I got to have a light. I, you know, I think uh, Betty and I have lived in our home about 17 years. I think I'm familiar with where every piece of furniture is. But you let the lights go out and I'll stump my toe on something every time. I'll walk into the wall. You'll fumble your fiddle yourself around trying to keep from getting injured in darkness. And you want a light. You know, I thank God for our telephones today. I got a light on mine. If our lights go out and I need to get up at night and I can't see, I just turn my phone on if I can find it. And so you see, you have a light. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. What is he doing? After talking about persecution and they're enduring that, he uses then example. You are an example to people that need an example. Jesus has been our standard of example. He's been our perfect standard, but he's in heaven. And now they need to see him in our lives. They need to see people that care about Christ and want to do that. You're the light of the world. You're a city. That is set on a hill, and I promise you, a city set on a hill cannot be hid. You can't hide that city that's set on the hill. You're the light of the world, a city set on a hill. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. It gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works. What is that? That's what he's discussed already in this verses of the Beatitudes, every one of them. But mine is focusing on the idea of being blessed through persecution. And so when you're being blessed through persecution and you're doing the right thing, when the world says he shouldn't be doing that, he ought to be cursing God. He ought to be defying God. He ought to be like Job's wife said, curse God and die. I mean, what, what do you expect? You lose your sons, you lose your daughters, you lose your financial stability. Here was a guy that lost his family, he lost his finances, he lost his place, he lost everything. And the Bible says in all this, he sinned not in the church, God foolishly. That's not what you expect to see, but that's what you need to see. And Job never backed up. Now, he made some mistakes because God quit talking to him and made foolish statements that he later repented of, but he never became unfaithful to God. Job even made the statement in the 13th chapter in verse 15, he can slay me and I'll still trust him. I'll put my trust in him. What a beautiful passage. He can slay me, but I'm going to trust him. And that's the only way to go. And so here he said, you're this light. Now, he didn't say, let your light shine. That is, let your light shine on yourself. That's what some people do. They shine the light back on them and try to receive glory, honor, and all that. But let your light shine out before men. Why? They will see the works of your Father. They know. When they see people being persecuted that are praising God and being faithful and not losing their faith, that's not what the world anticipates. And so they realize this is not human. This comes from divine. This comes from God. You see, it's not by a man living by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You let your light shine. They'll see your good works. And that is, they'll see you being persecuted, but being faithful. And your Father will be glorified. That's in heaven. You see, you can't have being blessed by persecution without also understanding the value and the significance of example. Let me give you one example before we pass from this point. 
You'll remember in Acts chapter 16, there were two men named Paul and Silas. They had been beaten by the Roman government. They had been then taken and placed in stocks and in bonds. I sometimes preach a sermon I call their investments in stocks and bonds, and it really paid off. You see, they were in stocks and bonds. They were being even persecuted after their beating, after the lacerating of the back, after all the Roman persecution or scourging that they would do. Then they stretched them out in stocks and put them in bonds so they can have a miserable rest of their time. Now, what are they doing? In these stocks and in these bonds, what are they doing? Well, they're doing exactly what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are they that are being persecuted for my sake. And so the Bible says this about them. Listen to it. And the multitude rose up together against them, Paul and Silas. The magistrates rent off their clothes. They commanded to beat, uh, to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes, not just a few, but many stripes upon them, and they cast them into the inner prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, made their feet fast in stocks, and at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Did you have done that? Would I have done that? Sang praises and prayed to God at midnight, and don't lose that little statement, and the prisoners heard them. You see, when you let your light shine before men, someone sees Someone hears, someone notices the difference between that kind of life and the kind of life that others live and what human nature might say that we ought to be doing. They sang praises and prayed to God at midnight and the prisoners heard them and then there's an earthquake that occurs and this jailer that's charged to keep these guys thinks they've escaped. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to kill himself. Why? He don't want to face the Roman government. So he's going to take his own life. I'd rather die from my own hand than to die from this Roman government because I'm in charge of these boys and they're gone. That's what he thought. Paul said, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. And you know what his question was to them? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, if he'd heard them moaning and groaning and bickering and complaining about how God living the Christian life has dealt them such a dirty blow and they had gone through life grumbly hateful, then what do you think that jailer would have ever asked those men? What must I do to be saved? That man realized they got something different. They got something I need. And they took that jailer the same hour of the night and immersed him into Christ for the remission of his sins and his household. That's awesome. But you see, the life, the example through suffering made the difference. We're blessed through suffering because others become Christians as a result of our being blessed through those examples. The book of Hebrews says there were people that this world was not worthy of that lived and died. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves. They were stoned. They were sawed asunder. They were tempted. They were slain by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin. And this world was not worthy of their presence. You see, they were letting their light shine before men that they could see their good works and glorify their Father, which is in heaven. And so when you get through with that 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, he begins chapter 12, and he says, Wherefore we sing also, 
compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Now listen, looking unto Jesus. He is the author and he is the finisher of the faith. Now listen, it says he's the author and finisher of the faith who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Friends, did you know Jesus tasted death for every man? And that's what brought the joy into the life, the example that he left behind for us. And so when you think about being blessed through persecution, think about the power of example. And what that's going to mean as you let your light shine and as you become the salt of the earth. The second thing is that we are blessed greatly because of persecutions, because it enlarges us. It enlarges us. I want you to listen to what the psalmist said in the fourth psalm in verse 1. And you ought to, again, this is something to me that's just absolutely beautiful. And I'm, when I read these things and I'm studying my Bible and I'm seeing here is how, what a blessing it is to suffer for the cause of Christ. The psalmist wrote, hear me when I call. Oh my God, he says, oh God of my righteousness, thou hast, now look, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. When was he enlarged? When he was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. The psalmist said, I went through this distress, I went through this persecution, and it made me enlarged. It made me better, it made me stronger. Now, that's why we're blessed when we endure persecution. We are able to walk out on the other side. You remember in the book of Numbers, God uh, tells them to go over and get their land, the promised land. They send spies into the promised land, and the spies come back. And ten of those spies said, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's some Anakims over there. Anakims, yeah. Anakims, these big guys, you know, these big guys. Every guy's a big guy to me, but this is a big guy. And they're over there, and we're like grasshoppers. We're just like grasshoppers in their sight. And there is no way. Now, we got some of the pomegranate and some of the grapes, and we rolled them around in our taste buds, and oh, they are delicious. They're everything God said they are and more. But those anakims, those giants are there, and they are dangerous. And we can't take them because we are just like grasshoppers in their sight. Well, see, they were looking at Anakims through the eyes of men, but Joshua and Caleb were looking at those Anakims through the eyes of God, and they didn't look near as big when you were looking down. One old boy got on an airplane for the first time. He looked down and said, oh, those people look like ants. And one guy said, those are ants. We've not left the ground yet. <laughs> they look like ants. The ones that were the grasshoppers were the ones that was the grasshoppers in the sight of God's eyes. And the Bible says something that I think is very fascinating in Numbers 14, verse 9. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. Now listen. For they are bread for us. You know what bread does for us, don't you? It enlarges us. Those giants are bread for us. They are our vitamins. Maybe it is true that giants are the breakfast of champions. Because that's exactly what God is saying. God is saying they're bread for us. They give us our vitamins. Their defense is departed from them and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. You see what the Bible is saying? When you go through these distresses and tribulations and you go through battles, you could not win 
Without the aid of God, you could not win without God being on your side. I talked the book of Esther a while back. What a great book, isn't it? Esther has two great points, I think, and you divide those chapters up. Chapters 1 through 5, God oversees every problem humans go through. And secondly, He can override any problem you have. That's chapter 6, the rest of the book. He oversees every problem you and I will ever go through. And He can overrule any problems we face. You see, God's still in charge. And we don't have to fear men. They are, they are our breakfast, the breakfast of champions. We do not have to be afraid of them. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12.10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. What are you saying, Paul? Paul is saying when I'm weak, that's when I get my strength. That's when I am enlarged. And that's what the psalmist said in 4.1. I have been enlarged in these distresses. I've been blessed in them. But now I want you to notice the third thing. Not only do we see the example and the enlarging of it, but we see the importance of endurance. We've got to endure these things. It's not enough to start the race. We've got to finish. It's not enough to be faithful a few days. We've got to be faithful all the way. And so we've got to hang in there. James 1.12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he's tried, when he's tested, when he goes through persecution, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Jesus said, he that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem there. The same principle is true, however. In anything when we're serving God, we have to endure unto the end. One famous preacher one time said, you know, the thing I fear the most is I'll get tired of fighting. I'll get tired of fighting and give up. You can't ever get tired of fighting. Satan will not let you ever have a day rest. He will fight you to your destiny because he is out to get you and me. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And God warns us, the man that's blessed is the man that endures temptation. And so he's able to endure that and fight through it. John said to the church at seven churches of Asia that were under the Roman persecution at the time, he said, don't fear any of those things, you're going to suffer. The devil will cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. And you will have tribulation, ten days. You're just going to be a period of time when you go through persecutions. But you be faithful. Unto death. Even if you have to die, you be faithful. And I will give unto thee a crown of life. In Second Thessalonians 1 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul said, For that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith and your persecutions, your tribulations, that you endure. That you what? That you endure. They would endure these persecutions. You see, we must not be overcome by trials, but we must overcome the trials. And God will help us to do that if we'll be faithful to him and deal in the right manner. Then, in the next place, not only do we see the value of endurance, but what about eternity? What about eternity? It's hard to talk about eternity, isn't it? We're all governed by time, always have been. We're governed by time tonight. We'll be governed by time tomorrow. And every day we live on earth, time, time, time. But there comes a time when there is no time. 
And that's hard to talk about that. We talk about spending eternity. You can't spend eternity. It doesn't end. It goes on and on and on, and our minds are not geared to think that way. Sometimes children will ask, what in the world will I do in all eternity? I tell them the same stuff you're doing now in, well, you got a little time. It's not a big deal. But you see, we got to think about it in this light because when we're suffering persecution, sometimes we may think that these persecutions is all we're ever going to face. Now I want you to listen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, some verses that I draw a tremendous amount of comfort from, Paul says in verse number 16, For which cause we faint not, for though our outward man perisheth, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And then he says, for our light affliction. Now, if I'd been through what Paul had been through, I'd think of everything but light affliction. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been left for dead. He's been persecuted as beasts would attack him at Ephesus. He has faced everything he had in his body, the literal marks of the stonings and the things he had gone through, he bore in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said it's all lie affliction. Well, why would he refer to all of that as lie affliction? His next statement is, which is but for a moment. Oh, I went through that affliction. It wasn't enjoyable at the time, but I never lost my faithfulness, my fidelity to God, and you know what? After it was over, it was over. It was over. I had an infection under my arm one time, and the doctor, I thought, was being kind of crude with me. I didn't think he numbed it very well, and he was trying to clean out the infection, and it hurt. And I wanted to hit him right in the nose. He was bigger than me, and I was a coward, and I didn't do it. But I wanted to because I thought he was being crude. Well, not long after that, under the other arm, I got the same thing. So this time, I don't go to that guy. I go to the emergency room. My wife is with me, of course, and Betty's sitting in there, and the doctor's in there talking to me about it. And I done told him what I'd gone through before, and his wife said, Would you please make sure that you numb him so I don't have to listen to the griping after it's over? And what he said, I still remember. He said, What he has is like an abscess tooth, and you can't go in and numb it. You can numb around it. You can numb around it, and it'll help. But he's going to feel the same pain he felt with the other doctor. Well, I owed the other doctor an apology, at least in my own mind, because I thought he was being crude. And so he says, you want to bite down on this towel? I said, no, do it. And I knew one thing kept going through my mind. This is going to hurt, but it's just going to hurt for a few minutes. That's all. Just going to hurt for a few minutes. What we go through in this life is just going to be for a few minutes. It's going to be over. And when it's over, it's over. And then we're in eternity. You see, it's just going to be for a few minutes. I'm going to suffer for a few minutes. And then the infection is gone and I'm going about my work. Do what i got to do. And so he said, you want to do this? I said, just do it. I know what I'm going, going to have to face. Do it. Paul says it's a light affliction. It's only for a moment. But what it does for us, it works for a far more exceeding. Now look at his terminology now. An exceeding and eternal weight. Not just a weight, but an eternal weight. Of glory. While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen, the things that are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. And so, yes, we go through a few trials and tribulations here on earth. It's temporary. But we got an eternity that we're headed for at a rapid rate of speed where we'll never suffer again. And that's worth the price you've got to pay to do that. 
in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, verse 24, Paul said, Know ye not that we which run a race run all, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do that to obtain a crown (laughs) that's going to be corruptible. You know, if you had the most beautiful crown that you could ever have, one of these days that thing's not going to look so beautiful. And especially when the world's on fire, it's really not going to look very beautiful at all. At best, it's going to pass away. All the green jackets from the Masters tournaments, all the World Series rings, all the accolades that one could say about somebody, when it's over, it's over. Mickey Mantle once said, if I had my life to live over again, I'd play less baseball and be with my family more. It's sad you got to learn that late in life. But that's what he said. And Paul said, look, they do this. They go through all of this, that training, that hard, difficult work. They do every bit of that to obtain a crown that's corruptible. But that's not what we're doing. We do it for an incorruptible crown. Remember, if you be faithful unto death, I'll give you a crown of life. An eternal way to glory. Whatever trials we face are only temporary. And so we're blessed in trials because of the fact that it leads us into eternity, as we got hints of in Matthew five ten through verse 18. And then, finally, it is enlightening. The trials and tribulations that we go through are enlightening. They teach us a lot of things. And we don't ever need to forget that. Persecution teaches me and blesses me by being able to see the value that's involved in it. Who would ever think there's value in persecution? We've already seen there is. And when I'm being persecuted, that helps me to see that. Persecution causes us to make tough decisions. Decisions that we may not make and wouldn't make without divine instruction and help to realize that if I do this because I'm being persecuted, I'm going to be blessed. And I'm going to make the decision to stand against the world. Noah stood against the whole world he lived in, and he won. Joshua and Caleb entered Canaan's land when they stood against the other spies and against the Anakims. They couldn't stand a chance against God's forces. You see, we have to make tough decisions. Being a Christian is not what some of these good old boys on radio and TV will tell you. You become a child of God and send me your money, and you'll be well off. They'll lie to you to get your money. But Christianity is not just an easy life sometimes. It can have its difficult moments, but it's always right and it's always best. Persecution causes us to take a stand. A lot of people don't take stands because they realize, if I do that, I'm going to be disinherited. I'll lose my inheritance. If I do that, I'll be put out of the home. If I do that where I was raised all of my life, they'll look down on me. They won't no one have anything. I'll be like a vagabond in my own country. You see, it causes us to take a stand that we say, it doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter what you do, I'm going to be faithful to God under every circumstance and under every situation. It encourages us to take a stand. Persecution causes us to reflect upon the true meaning of life. I never went through a persecution that I didn't think about the true meaning of life. What does this mean? And how does it affect my life? And how am I going to let that make me make decisions or choices? Paul wrote a book of Philippians 
in essence, to tell the Philippian brethren, don't let Satan rob you of your joy. Keep your eyes on the go. Forget the things that are behind. Reach forth unto those things which are before you. Press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Don't let persecutions discourage you. You see, you need to understand what real life is about. That's why I said Christ puts the life in living and living in the life. And when we don't have that, we really don't have a life. Oh, we're breathing God's air and we have a physical life, but we're dead while we live, the Scripture says. And we don't really know what life is all about. Persecution causes one to ask himself, how much am I willing to give up to go to heaven? How much am I willing to give up to go to heaven? Mid McKnight said one time, anyone can go to heaven who wants to go to heaven more than he wants anything else in the world. And no one can go to heaven who wants anything in the world more than he wants to go to heaven. Never forgot that. And every time I go through persecutions and trials and difficulties in my life, I think, what am I willing to give up to go to heaven? You see, God's Son gave up it all for us. How could we give up any less than Him? And so it causes us to ask ourselves, how much? Am I willing up, uh, willing to give up to go to heaven? And if we had kept reading in that beautiful Sermon on the Mount, verses 41 to 48, we must practice the second mile religion. We must practice that second mile religion. Turn the other cheek. Give to him that asks. And don't expect anything back. If he takes your coat, give him your coat also. Think of that. That's the second mile religion. Our attitude is, how little can I attend and still be pleasing to God? How little can I give and still be pleasing to God? How little can I do this or do that and still be okay in the sight of God? Brethren, it's not how little can I do, it's how much can I do for God. And we don't look at it in those lights if we're going to be right in the sight of God. We've got to get it right. Jesus said, I was reviled, but I didn't revile back. You could say anything about Jesus you wanted to say about him, and he'd turn the other cheek. But when the Pharisees attacked his word, that was a different story. He had pulled the sword out of the scabbard and throw the scabbard away because he realized the value of his word. The seed of the kingdom, Luke 8 and verse 11. The power of God unto salvation, Romans 1, 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're begotten by the word of God that lives and abides forever and ever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. And that's why in Luke eight twelve. Satan takes the word out of the hearts of men because he knows if it's left there, they'll believe and be saved. And so that's why he's trying to take the word of God out of our lives. We must practice the second mile religion. So when we look back, why are we blessed in being persecuted? We're blessed because we set an example for a world to see. We're blessed because it enlarges us and makes us better. We're blessed because we learn the value of enduring through the trials unto the very end. We are blessed because we understand the difference between the temporal and the eternal, that which is temporary and that which is permanent. You see, we understand eternality, and we are blessed because it enlightens us to live a better life. What about you tonight? What kind of life are you living? 
Are you living a life that is pleasing, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, as the book of Romans chapter 12 points out? Are you just living a life for your own selfish desires, wishes, and whims? Whatever your need is tonight, you see, God provides for us his plan of salvation. If we'll hear his word, Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, believing his son, John 8, verse 24. If we will repent of our sins, Acts 17, 30, and 31, he commands all men everywhere to repent and confess his beautiful name before men, Matthew 10, 32, and 33. Romans 10, 9, and 10. And if we'll be baptized for the remission of our sins, Acts 2, 38, the Lord will add us to his church, Acts 2, and verse 47, and then be faithful, Revelation 2 and 10. Now, if you've done those things and trials come and tribulations come and difficulties come and and you give up, God wants you back. You don't have to stay in the darkness of sin. You need to come back home, Acts 8, verse 22. Repent and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart might be forgiven thee. If you're here tonight and subject to the Master's invitation, please come as we stand and as we sing the invitation song.